Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Well, we're back to back this week with episodes. This one is with Ted Blosser. Ted is the CEO and co-founder of WorkRamp. They are a learning management system. And so we're talking about the importance of learning and development initiatives, why most companies put it on the back burner, and why we should be making it a priority. Because that's what employees want. They want career development opportunities. They want to keep growing and learning. And many organizations just struggle in putting together a formal learning and development program. So we talk about all that. And at the very end of the episode, because Ted is in the tech industry, I ask him a little bit about what's going on with the the layoffs and just where he sees the state of the economy and things like that. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this discussion. It's a wide-ranging discussion, but overall, I know you'll enjoy it. Make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Those are where I spend most of my time on, online. And uh, make sure to connect with Ted as well. Enjoy today's episode. Oh, and if you would go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a review, that'd be awesome. Or just share it with a friend. We want to make sure that we're spreading the word. Uh, we're trying to transform workplaces in a positive way. So that's the best thing you can do is share it with a colleague, friend, anybody that can get value from these discussions. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Ted, it's a pleasure to have you on Transforming Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brandon. So we're in an interesting environment, pandemic, technology improvements, people needs are changing. I feel like this in this work environment is business environment. It's changing so rapidly and we've got to adapt with it. And you know, you and I offline, we were talking about just your organization going from kind of a 1.0 version to a 2.0. And I feel like a lot of organizations are probably going through something similar. T- talk to me a little bit about how you make that leap from minimum viable product or business to that kind of that next level, whatever vision that you have. And, and bring along the people with it. Yeah, for sure. And I'll give a little background before I go into the answer. So, so WorkRamp is uh, an all-in-one learning management system. So we serve SMB and mid-market companies and we're their corporate learning provider. And started in 2015. So we've been around for about seven years and we're now about 150 people. Venture-backed, raised about $70 million from great providers like Salesforce Ventures. So that's kind of the backdrop of the answer I'll give you. And we went through the typical startup journey. If you kind of read Peter Thiel, uh, zero to one, our zero to one took about three years. So it wasn't until about 2018 when we actually had something people wanted. And like nothing really mattered before then. It was like we were in a garage just building stuff, hoping people would buy it. And those first three years were a grind, really no culture, no processes, just you look at one thing, what's going zero to one. And what was interesting learning at that time is, all right, once we had a product and we got to that one, is then we set up our first kind of framework of kind of WorkRamp 1.0 that I call it. And so WorkRamp 1.0 had essentially a product framework. So we had a product strategy, had an operations framework. So we introduced like OKRs for the first time. We introduced an operating cadence. We introduced a vision and mission statement. 
So that was kind of the uh, operation strategy. And then lastly, we, for the first time, really thought about culture seriously. So we actually came up with four cultural values that we really cared about. And these are values like always be improving, one team, customer focus, and operational excellence. And so that was WorkRamp 1.0. And that took us from employee count, let's call it 10-ish. And we raised our Series A right around that time. So raised about $8 million at that time. And that was a great start of our framework for the next four years. Now, fast forward to today, we just did our Q4 kickoff and the world has changed immensely. We've gone through so much as a company. We, we raised two more rounds, a Series B, Series C, brought on hundreds of new customers, evolved our product. And then all this stuff happened in the world, inflation rising, interest rates rising, the war in Ukraine, just everything happening. You had COVID, obviously. And then really this point in time, we said, look, our company is about 150 people now. We need to evolve again. And so we just did a kickoff internally where we did this big message about WorkRamp 1.0 to WorkRamp 2.0. And that is, again, the same framework of your product strategy, your operation strategy, and then your culture strategy. And then we evolved each of those to the team. And now we're going to reinforce that to take us to that next level. So that's a little bit of overview. I'm happy to dive into specific areas of this. I love I love that. Uh, you're in the learning and development space. I mean, you're all in one LMS platform is how you just described it. Now, because you're in the learning and development space, I'm sure having a learning culture is critical to innovation in this space. It's I don't know how crowded of a space this learning and development space is. You could probably give insight there, but this shift to 2.0, I'm sure it's around how do you continue to innovate and create and distribute knowledge across the organization? Is that a little bit of what you're trying to do from a 2.0 perspective? For sure. Like if, when you think about that, framework, product, operations, and culture. Learning kind of it can be a vertical solution across all three of those areas. But I'll give some specific examples so that we can understand a little bit more viscerally of how we're going to transform our culture and our company through learning. It's like a great example in culture 1.0, feedback, right? Feedback, what happened in culture 1.0, it just didn't happen that much because you're kind of scrambling around. You're trying to build your business. Yeah, was, you're building your business and you're really focused on delivering business results. And I gave this analogy, I was in this meeting where we were kind of solving this business challenge and someone in the meeting got really upset at me and a lot of stuff was kind of, uh, a lot of frustration was boiling out in that meeting. And in typical 1.0 fashion, we would have been like, well, that doesn't really matter. Let's just solve the issue at hand. And I wouldn't even address that issue. And then culture 2.0, and this is where learning is coming in because we're training people on how to give better feedback internally here at WorkRamp. With culture 2.0, what we did was we said, hey, what was wrong in that meeting? I had a meeting with this person one-on-one -on -one the next day, 24 hours later. I said, look, I felt a lot of frustration in that meeting. There was some anger that came out. Talk to me. What was the feedback that you had on what was going on? And we got to the bottom of it. And the feedback was this person was like, Ted, I need about 45 days when you make a major decision like this to actually get my ducks in a row to actually go make impact for my own OKRs. And you were basically taking that away from me. And so it's a great example of learning about how to get and receive feedback and how to give feedback in the proper way. And that's just one kind of more visceral example of 1.0.2.0 is, hey, how do we train people to get better feedback? Because in this next stage, it's going to be all about a feedback culture where it has positive intent, it's more direct, not indirect behind someone's back, 
and we're using it to amplify our one cultural value of always be improving. And so that's an example of where you can leverage L&D to push better feedback across your organization, which can help on all the big pillars from product operations and then culture as well. How are you managing that feedback loop? Like, is there a, a cadence in which you're collecting that feedback, a methodology around that? I mean, that's that's really smart to like be always listening to what your employees either need as human beings inside of an organization or like, I've got this great idea for our product that we can take to the next level that's going to improve the client experience. I'm sure you're probably capturing both of those things. Yeah, for sure. I'll talk about that in two ways. So there's actually maybe three ways here. If you think about org feedback, we in culture one, and basically work ramp 1.0, we did two large biannual surveys uh, using Lattice engagement surveys. And we did a great job with this where we got it out, had like a 98% participation rate, and we made changes that were very transparent based on these as this big kind of effort to actually go improve the culture. It actually worked really well in work ramp 1.0. But WorkRamp 2.0, we need a more consistent cadence of feedback. And so we're going to move those into more pulse reviews that we do on a quarterly basis now to get a tighter feedback loop because we have more people and we have more feelings and more thoughts and we need to institute that in the process. That's kind of number one. Number two is in our performance cycles, we are now finally introducing 360 reviews. They used to be just kind of a one-way review. And that was WorkRamp 1.0 because we just kind of want to get it done with and get your promotions and move on. This next version is like, all right, let's do 360 reviews with our peers. So basically sideways and up as well, not just down. So that's the second way. And then the third way is like just ad hoc conversations, right? And that's like something you can't really enforce with the framework. You just kind of have to train and use learning and development for this is enable people to feel comfortable in these ad hoc conversations to give feedback. So for example, if you're on a sales call with a rep, maybe take five minutes afterwards to give nice feedback to them that has positive intent, but helps them get better instead of just going on to your next call and forgetting about giving feedback because it might be a little uncomfortable. That's great. So you, you're an all-in-one LMS platform, learning management system. How does a learning management system company use their own platform? You're obviously have an idealistic way of like how your clients would use it and, and offer all of these bells and whistles. And I'm sure that there's different levels of the service. How do you as WorkRamp use it for your internal teams or even your clients too, if, they're, if you have the product side of it? Yeah, for sure. You know what's kind of funny? I don't think a lot of founders would admit this is... Sometimes when you start a company, you are not your own target market. So what's been really interesting is when we were super small, we were 10 to 15 people, we didn't know or care about L&D because like we we're trying to get to product market fit. Yet you're watching your customers do it. You're becoming a subject matter expert in your category. And you know, at some point you will grow to become your target market. And what's been really interesting is we finally grown to a phase and a company size where we are now our target market at around 150 employees. But it was interesting where early on, you're like, oh, this feels weird. I'm not really using our product that much because we were just too small. We weren't our target market, right? And I like to always say this, hey, we're always improving on using our own product. Like if you think about, I imagine if you're at salesforce.com, salesforce.com probably has a mess of a Salesforce instance, if you can imagine, <laughs> right? But they're always yeah. trying to make it better. We're always trying to become better. We call it uh, drinking our own champagne instead of eating your own dog food. It just sounds a little bit better. And so to answer your question, we do it in, in two ways. One is we have two core solution groups. We have what we call employee solutions. So think of that as L&D for your employees. And then we have customer solutions. Think of that as L&D and customer education for 
your customers and partners. And we drink our own champagne on both. On the former, what we do is we do onboarding, as you can imagine, on our product. We do our regular training on our product. So for example, we just did a really good unconscious bias training, a really good training on giving feedback. We also use our events functionality when we're hosting major events like our CKO internally. And so that's how we leverage it internally is really for our consistent learning and development and enablement efforts. And then if you look at the customer side, there's a lot of stuff we're doing there. Uh, We have essentially what we call product academy. And this product academy allows us to scale our customer success efforts and allow us to be kind of a shining example to our customers on how do you drive learning into your customer base and make them champions of your products. And so, again, we are always improving. Like I would say, even internally, one of my big initiatives is to use us even more. Sometimes you forget, hey, you are the best users of your product. But again, we have it as running the core programs of Warcraft now. With an LMS platform, do you typically create content as well that you distribute to clients as well? Like, do you have a, a library of content that let's say, like, if I jump on WorkRamp, I'm like, oh, I want that unconscious bias training. Like, I want to bring that into my library as my instance for my employees. Like, is that something you offer? Is that something that people should have? You know, if they look at an LMS, that's a must have. Yeah, you have both. I mean, when I pitched investors, there's kind of this misperception that an LMS is just a bunch of off the shelf stuff, like, because they're used to seeing LinkedIn learning or Udemy, and they think that's your business. But if you look at a core business, even your business as Zenium, most of the learning that happens in your organization, I like to use the 80-20 rule here, 80% of it is custom to your organization. 20% of it is typically off the shelf. So it's actually the inverse of what most investors or even the general public thinks about corporate training. And so what we do is we provide a really nice and easy to use platform that's like, let's think of it as like a Google Docs but for your training content. So you can rapidly create training content that's custom for your business. Now, we also had just released what we call WorkRamp content, where you can supplement that training with 85,000 courses that are off the shelf. It's powered by our partner, Go On, and that can be imported into your enterprise so that you can mix and match it. So you can have, hey, let's say leadership development, a couple custom courses you built that match your culture, but then let's say you don't want to go build like, Hey, how to have a, a one-on-one with your direct report, you could pull that off the shelf because it's pretty standard stuff and then move on with a few more custom items. How are most of the clients that you have on your platform, how are they using the LMS? Do they use it for company-wide training, for teams specifically? Do they use it for their clients as well? Like, Give me some perspective of how people are using it. Yeah, I'll take one step back. We talk about learning as a growth engine and we talk about it across three core audiences. The audiences are your L&D teams. Um, And so those teams will typically use it for anything from upskilling all the way out to compliance and security training, right? Then you have another audience, which is revenue enablement. How do I drive more revenue for my organization? That's think of training sales reps, training customer success reps. That is where our platform gets used heavily as well. And then lastly, you have customer education. This is the team that usually sits in customer success that is training customers. The big trend we're seeing is that right now, all of our customers are looking to consolidate onto the best of breed platforms for specific areas. And so we like to come on the market and say, hey, CFO, why do you have three or four different learning providers, a security vendor here, LinkedIn learning over there, a sales specific training tool over here. Let us get them all onto one platform for you, save money 
but then also drive that, what I talked about earlier, that 2.0 culture through learning. And that's our value proposition. It's interesting you brought that up because one of the things that was going through my mind that I wanted to ask you was like, what's one thing about learning and development that employers are getting wrong? And it sounds like just based on what you said, it sounds like they are using too many different tools and they're trying to bring it all together. Whereas like maybe just use one all in one platform. Am I on the right track? Yeah, actually. So I think about it two ways. One is you're totally right. That is more of what they're getting wrong on the finance, architecture, and system side. And that's actually part of our corporate pitch. Like when you're buying software, you do need to look at the architecture of the investment. That's one big piece of our corporate pitch. The other part that I think they're getting wrong, the most cut that a lot of companies are getting wrong is they think of learning as an afterthought. They think of it as a perk that maybe drops into the HR team once they have some extra time in the quarter. And it's just like this nice to have thing. Maybe it's our harassment training that we need to do once a year. They have this misperception of, hey, learning is this thing on the side that will not benefit the business. And what we're trying to change the narrative on is the best companies that want to come out of tough times like right now when we're filming this in the downturn, if they want to come out of this, the way to do it is you enable your people to get you out of that downturn. And how do you enable your people? Just like Andy Grove said, uh, training is like the highest leverage activity you can do in an organization. You train your people, you help them learn and develop and get better at the jobs that they're doing at hand, even if it's specific to the company. And that's how you can accelerate out in these more difficult times. On the flip side of my question, you know, that was very employer specific. You entered into a market, you said 2015, you created WorkRamp. Is, I don't know if, is it crowded as far as like LMSs go? But like, there's probably a reason you created WorkRamp that it was different than the other LMSs that are out there. What makes WorkRamp better, special, more niche than the other ones? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I just gave this presentation the other day where I talked about the evolution of SaaS. And I talked about the last two decades and the decade we're currently in. If you think about the 2000s, you just SaaS was coming up, Salesforce was coming up, Cornerstone on Demand in our category is coming up, all these kind of generation 1.0 companies, right? SaaS was just this new thing. Should I do it? All right, maybe I should. In the decade of 2010 to 2020, when we were born, it was the proliferation of SaaS. Everyone's like, all right, SaaS is a thing. Let's go build a SaaS app. There's 30,000 SaaS applications in the world today, 17,000 in the US. We were one of them. And it was just this explosion of SaaS. And I could talk about some of the specifics of why we did well during those years. But beyond the specifics, and we have 600 competitors in our category to answer your original question. Oh so, so it's crazy. There's 600. <laughs> That's way more than I thought. <laughs> yeah, there's 600 LMSs or learning providers in the world. Now, then you look at this decade, 2020 and beyond, and this is the big differentiator I would say now is customers, the total cost of ownership model is now broken with SaaS. So the whole reason it came about was total cost of ownership was better. And now it's broken because now every environment has, I think the average is like 150 apps when you're at a certain scale. And I think it's like when you're above a couple hundred employees, you have 150 plus SaaS apps. So now the investment model is broken and the maintenance model is broken of traditional SaaS. So what's happening? Companies are now consolidating and bundling and they're going to bundle to the best providers in their respective categories. Think of Adobe for the marketing cloud, Salesforce for CRM, uh, Zendesk for uh, customer success. So they're going to bundle into these best of breed providers in their platform categories and so we believe that is our big differentiator now, is that we want to help customers bundle all of their learning needs and development needs onto one platform, whether that's for employees, 
whether that's for partners and customers, we will be the definitive source for learning and training for those companies. That's our big differentiator. <laughs> I so agree with that. So I lead a marketing function and I'm sure you can imagine my tech stack that I have is an endless amount of like SaaS tools that I use, copy AI and WordPress, like all this stuff, right? And it's just, I agree, like consolidating is like a peace of mind. It's like, okay, it's, it's not, stuff's not going to break. It's all in one spot. It's integrated. The data flows from one thing to the next. Well, it's like it's like HubSpot right now. They, they've done a great job bundling in a similar market we're in. But every time I'm like, oh, should we look at this tool or that tool? I was like, oh, HubSpot has it. And their strategy is spot on where they're looking at big value ads and bundling it straight into that single platform. I'm not sure if you're a customer of theirs too. I'm not. Unfortunately, I, I went the cheap route and went Zoho. And But it's again, it's an integrated, but it's just like far inferior as far as like UI is not beautiful, but it works. Yeah. I want to get into like content design. I'm sure you have a ton of data around like how your clients are using it, what length of content, how it's structured. Give me some insight as to like what you've seen work really well inside of organizations, whether it's micro content or full-blown courses. Like what, what are you seeing out there? Yeah. So I'm seeing a couple of things. We'll start at the infrastructure level. So, I mean, this is kind of niche to our industry, but we have this concept called SCORM. And if you've ever taken an e-learning course at any job or even like a speeding test is probably built on SCORM, there's this traditional learning language, which is a little bit of animations and you need to be a designer to build it. One big thing is we're seeing a migration away from that in this industry to essentially micro-learning and easy-to-use content creation tools. And essentially, you're democratizing content creation within organizations. So I'll give a great example where before, when you're creating learning content, you had to have an instructional design team. It had like a four-week production process with another four weeks of distribution. So it's this hot mess. And now when we talk to a customer, they say, hey, I want to go create technical training. Let's say your company or customer of ours like Box. And instead of having to go through all those processes, you could assign a sales engineer as a subject matter expert. They've never probably built any courses in their lives. They can come in into the environment, quickly author content, and get that distributed out to a sales force of five, 600 people. And so that's an example of how you could democratize how you create content. Then the form factor that we're seeing is it's all about micro-training, micro-learning. You're moving away from the longer format trainings where you're sitting in front of your computer uh, watching a, a video that's not interactive to micro-training that's more like a TikTok video, an Instagram reel that has more interactivity to it that you can get in and get out in five to 10 minutes. And so I was playing pickleball, for example. I just started picking that up. Say, same here. It's, it's yeah, really fun. It's fastest growing sport. I know. I know. It's fun. But it was really, really fun. I was playing with uh, this person and she was like, oh, I was, uh, she's one of our customers at Qualtrics. And she was saying, oh, I love, uh, I love WorkRamp. And I was like, why? She's like, I just like enjoy going into the trainings now versus before I had this really boring, long training. And it's just fun to hear that where it's like, hey, you know what? And, and it wasn't, I think she was taking some compliance training on us. It wasn't like the most exciting topic per se, but the form factor matters a lot in terms of uh, what this new age of learning looks like. Like when you look at all the, L, like you said, 600 LMSs out there, and maybe it's consolidated a little bit more now, but like if you look at must-haves for employers, like they're exploring an LMS, they're listening to this podcast right now, and they're like, you know, from your perspective, Ted, like, you need to have these three or four things like in an LMS. What, what are those must-haves, like non-negotiables? Yeah, for sure. Let me think about that for a second because I, I think it is different for everybody, but I'll kind of list out 
three or four things. I think one is, I think what we just talked about, but I do think it's a must have is get investment protection on your use cases that you might not even have now. So when I talk about this bundling story, I think it's really important for customers to be like, hey, I might need to just do sales training right now, but I need an eye on the future when I want to do customer training or invest heavily in that. So I think number one is make sure the architecture investment is correct, that it's not just something you're going to buy for this. Like, Because I see this happen a lot. Like, hey, I just need to come in and do sales onboarding better. Like, Get me whatever you can get me. And they're not thinking holistically about, hey, this is a big infrastructure purchase. You should think through the investment protection there. So that's probably number one is the investment protection. Number two, and this is in our category or our segment of the market, we sell to mid, what we call mid-market and SMB. So we don't really focus on what's called a Fortune 500 enterprises. And when you think about that new breed of software that was born around when we were born, like the Figmas of the world, uh, Lattice, Gong, it's all about usability. And how can I get this up and running and deliver as much value as possible right away? Because think about when you're setting up Salesforce or when you're setting up like one of our competitors, like a Dochebo, what you will see is that there's a lot of heavy lift and there's so much effort and so much cost that goes into setting up this software. And I recommend to clients, if you don't have a huge team, you need to look at the providers that have the least amount lift so you can deliver value as fast as possible. And then lastly, I would just say product excellence. I think people skip this a lot. When you think about new age software and the software people want to use, like they expect great high quality software in their hands now, given what they use in their personal lives, right? And so making sure you like the product, it's engaging, it looks nice, you actually want to be in there is a critical part because your perception in your company is going to be based off the perception of what you deliver out to them. So if you're an L&D leader, I've talked with customers before where they're saying, hey, the number one thing for me is I want to look good when rolling this out to my company. And so I'm going to choose the UI and UX that is the most appealing uh, for my constituents, which are my uh, employees and learners within the company. So hopefully those are three good things that people can look for. Yeah, this is going to feel like an abrupt shift, but I would be remiss in not asking about this because you're from the tech industry and I don't get a chance to talk to, to people like you very often where you were with Box before you work for a SaaS, you lead a SaaS company now. There's a lot of layoffs happening in the tech industry right now. I think there's a lot of anxiety happening. What's your just take on all that? Where are we kind of going in the future? And then I've got some other follow-up questions I want to ask you, but like, let's just start with that. Yeah, this is a deep topic and we could probably go for hours on it, but probably I'll try to give you a high level on it. And we weren't immune to it, right? Like we were very, if you look at layoffs off FYI, it almost seems like every tech company has done a reduction in force in some fashion. We had to do one as well. And it was a difficult time. I think when, when you do it, it's never easy. It's people's careers that were affected, their families that were, this is a very difficult decision for everybody involved. And I kind of came up with a framework as we went through this. That's just important to keep in mind, right? One is... Like the number one thing is treat those employees well, right? The people that you have to part with is treat them as well as you can. The business does have to survive, but treat those people as well as you can and be very communicative with them in that process. And the big thing that you can do after that too is really become like kind of turn up the level of transparency and honesty on, hey, what happened and what's happening moving forward? When you talked about anxiety, the people remaining are highly anxious, right? And the big thing that I learned is that transparency really helps calm anxiety. 
uh, yes, you can't share like every conversation happening at the executive level, at the board level, but you can be more transparent than you have in the past. And that's a good learning lesson for me personally is people want to know more. They all are adults. They know how to absorb the information. They want to know more. And so we've upped the level of transparency as an example uh, within our company. So for example, a few days after we had to do our reduction in force, I did a whole presentation on what does our modeling look like? How much cash do we have in terms of our runway? What are we going to be doing next? And just like I talked about at the top of this conversation, WorkRamp 2.0 was just an, another way we extended this transparency to the company. We said, hey, now also, here's a few new pieces of information to help give you more visibility insight. And what I've seen other companies maybe do wrong is it's natural to actually be a little more conservative and be less transparent. And I think that's the exact wrong way to go. And the last thing I'll just share here is it's a difficult time. You have to remember it, but also don't dwell in it. Like it's easy to kick yourself for having to do something like that, but you need to move forward as a business. People want to move on and continue progressing as a company. I had this advisor mentor tell me to say, hey, Ted, the next best thing you could do from here is go move on as a company, deliver results and treat the people at the company as well as you can moving forward. So you essentially need to just move on as a company and continue to succeed. That's the number one thing that will help you as an organization. Yeah, like what you said, I mean, the business has to survive, right? So it's like, if you can't have the business survive, then nobody has jobs. So you treat people as human beings along the way, and you continue to communicate. It seems like that's the path forward. I mean, it sounds like that's what you've done. Yep, exactly, exactly. And so, and just having a framework around that has been super helpful to think through. And one of the big things I did around that time and moving forward, just seek the advice of others. I remember uh, this board member I talked to, he's like, Ted, I've done 15 riffs in my life. He used to be a CEO of a, a company about 7,000 employees. He's like, I've done so many of these. And he walked me through like all the way down to the last detail. He walked me through how to execute it all the way to how to work with employees that were departing. And so that's also another big piece of advice is seek advice from others that have gone through something similar. I mean, if you pull out your crystal ball, do you think it's going to calm down a little bit? I mean, you've got the Twitters, the Googles, the Metas, they're, they're all like Amazon, they're, they're yeah. doing big layoffs and it's all very public right now. Some companies are a little bit more out there than others with how public it's been. But I, I'm curious if you think it's just in the future, it's going to just calm down a little bit. I, yeah. If I'll give you my personal opinion on this. I think we will see a prolonged downturn next year. I actually gave a really good presentation on this internally on Monday when I was talking about this transition to 2.0. I was talking about the why, like, wait, why are we slowing down as a industry, the tech industry? And what does that mean in the future? And the why is really when it comes down to is loose monetary policy over the last couple of years. So I showed charts of like, hey, all this free money in the market, zero interest rates, essentially, which led to a crazy amount of COVID relief, 5.2 trillion in COVID relief, which led to inflation getting to eight to 9% which then now we're just, Chairman Powell is explicitly trying to slow down the economy through raising interest rates, which then I think we, and he's, and he's not done until he's fully done. I think we're going to see the effects of that all through next year. And so that's why you're seeing all these companies, pretty much almost every company I can think of doing rifts now because they're getting ready for the winter next year. But I do think that would be the second bounce. Like we kind of had the first bounce where it might head into 
we have a little reprieve now then i think we'll head into the second bounce next year and then i think that will be the bottom that's my personal opinion I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, Ted, this has been such a fun discussion. I don't know. We kind of went in a lot, a lot of different areas, but this is a really interesting discussion. I thank you for coming on. What do you want to leave people with as they consider learning development, uh, exploring work ramp, anything that you want to leave people with? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a great question. I think for your audience is probably the thing I mentioned earlier, which is in this environment, kind of merging a few of your questions in this environment, it's easy to forget about learning and training because there's so much other stuff going on. And just remember that is a part of the solution. And so remember that, hey, your employees now need learning, skill development, career development more than ever. They're so anxious and they need to get better at their jobs. They need to do more with less. And so remember that learning is the foundational crutch of helping your organizations perform and also externally helping your customers do more with less because you're going to have fewer people, fewer resources in the next couple of years. How do you also leverage learning for that? So that's the big thing. And you can check out workramp.com or even email me directly, ted at workramp.com, and I'll connect you with our team. My guest today has been Ted Blosser. Ted's the CEO and co-founder of WorkRamp. Ted, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Brandon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.